The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, growing tires on trees, what to look for when buying an electric vehicle, keeping your cool in your car, plus special guest champion race car driver and Motor Trends hot shoe, Randy Popst. All that and a whole lot more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim D. Pasquale, a poster to the stars. How you doing, sunburned, Tim? I'm good, Bud. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good. You've been on the tractor. Yes, I have. It's been a big time. Big time, huh? I love tractoring. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. You've been taking care of grandkids, too. Yes, it's been a fun time getting them grandkids out on the tractors and the side-by-side and the golf cart and every other kind of ridey instrument that we got. But now they'll want to come to the farm all the time. Yes, the they homestead. Do. They'll want to come. And who was the one that I had to admonish the most? It was their father, our son, who was driving like a crazy person. Like you're not setting a good example for them kids driving that thing like that. You're uh-huh. gonna flip it over. You know where he learned that stuff, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. I know exactly where he learned we've it. We've been we've been babysitting dogs. Oh, bud, yeah. really? Yeah, my my son and. Uh, oh, it's a long story. But, okay. All right. Six members of the family and their kids are in Italy. And left their pups all with you? With us. Yeah, yes. good. Good yeah. times. Good times. I, it's, it, instead of living in the, the, the lady that lives in the shoe, where I feel like the, mm. the lady and guy living in the doghouse. Okay. It's been interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's good fun. Yeah, it's good fun. I'd rather have them there than, I'd rather have them with us than in a, in a boarding place somewhere. Because mm-hmm. at least they're comfy. Right. It's all about the dogs. Sure it is. I'm excited. We got a great guest today, Randy Popst. Oh, uh, yeah. I got an email last week. Somehow, you know, in the in the befuddlement of what we were talking about, we mentioned uh, plastic uh, jugs and plastic bottles being used as parts for tires for Indy cars. Oh, right, right. Uh, it goes a little deeper than that, okay? Mm-hmm. Indy cars are racing on tires made of recycled milk jugs and plastic, but they're also being mixed. All that stuff is being mixed in with a new stuff that is called, I can't even pronounce it's this. It's called... The Gaiuwa tree. It's called Waiuli. Gaiuli. No, it's not. The G is not. Uh, the G is silent. Is it's, this like Carlos Ghosn? Yes, it's oh, exactly. Okay. It is. All right. It, so it's a tree. It, yes. That they are growing in the United States mm-hmm. now. It's a natural rubber plant. Yes. That doesn't require so much water to process. Hmm. Yes, it's very interesting. Well, Bridgestone has is, uh, is got a 281-acre Gaiuli, Gaiuli farm Yuli. in Eloy, Arizona. <laughs> or is it Eloy? Are you going to correct me on every... No, every, I'm done. Mr. Phonetics? All right. Uh, but it's it's a sustainable uh, stuff. I didn't realize it was always always grown somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now we can grow it here, and it uses quite a bit less water here than the old stuff used. Right. And it's you know sustainable. Sure. Well, let's use it by all means so if it's sustainable. Basically, our tires are growing on trees, mm-hmm. or our future tires are growing on trees. Anyway. Right. 
Our next guest is good friend Brian Moody. He's been on the podcast. He's been on the show many, many times. Oh, yeah. And he has got some great information for people that are interested in electric vehicles. Brian Moody, welcome back into Bud's Garage. Hey, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. <laughs> I don't know if these are the questions I should ask, but I'm going to ask them anyway. Uh, why should we consider buying a totally electric car? What are some advantages and disadvantages of these cars? Um, electric cars typically deliver a different driving experience than a gasoline-powered car. <clears throat> I can certainly understand if people are wanting the more visceral feel of, you know, uh, a V8-powered car. That's one thing. But electric cars deliver a completely different driving experience. They're quiet, they're quick, they're more efficient, and oftentimes you can refuel that car at home. Hmm, Okay. Uh, can you refuel it at home and make it make sense if you don't buy an external charger? Um, or a fast charger, I guess we call it. What does it call A stage two it charger? Be, it would be like a level two. Yeah, level two, you, that's you would it. get a level two at home. I think that if you were going to get an electric car and you wanted to spend the money on that, that, because remember, we're talking about you're probably going to get a new car to begin with. You know, there are some used electric cars, but you're probably going to get a new car. It's going to be worth your while to spend money to get a level two charger installed. Now, that being said, you don't have to do that. You can, if you have a car, let's say, that you only use occasionally or you don't use every single day, you can drive it a little bit and you can plug it into your regular 220 outlet, and it's going to take many hours for it to charge up. But that is a choice if you want to do that. But for most people, it would be well worth the couple thousand dollars to spend to get a level two charger installed in your home. I mean, just the convenience of it alone. Well, you, you, said, you mentioned that you could plug it into a 220 charger or a 220 outlet. Uh, are there cars out there that are using a 220 that aren't using a level two? Because I thought you just got a 110 uh, charger with uh, most, most electric vehicles you buy. You can do both. You okay. can plug it into a 110, and it will still charge up. It will take a long time, but it's going to charge up. I've done it before. I had a car that I was using, and I didn't use it over the weekend because I had a car that did, you know, it held more people. I plugged into a 110. By the time Sunday came, it was 90% charged. So that's a choice that people can do if you want to. You don't have to do it that way, but I still think it's worth the extra money just to get the level two charger. Mm, okay. Brian, a lot of folks have infrastructure concerns. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, with anything that's new technology, there's always going to be some growing pains. Right now, it depends largely on where you live. So, for example, we're sitting here in the studio with a Polestar 2 next to us. Polestar is a, a relatively new electric vehicle brand. They're expanding, and they're expanding in the southeast. So they're going to add seven new stores in seven cities over the next seven months. Well, the reason for that is, is because in those locations is where people are demonstrating the most desire to have an electric car. We know California is probably the highest uh, adoption rate for electric cars, but also Florida and Texas are pretty high, too. So those types of concerns should be something that you think of before buying an electric car. If you live in the middle of nowhere and you don't have any idea where you're going to charge the car up, it might not be for you, but it's just like you would do with any other thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar purchase. You gotta do your research and figure out if it's gonna work for you or not. 
Yeah, absolutely. What's available and dependable in the electric vehicle segment right now? There's many different choices, although this is the thing that we're sort of talking about is that, like, there are increasing choices, right? Right. So at one point, electric cars were just a couple of maybe dorky hatchbacks and low-mileage or low-range cars. Today, there's increasing brands and increasing models. So if we stick to the Polestar example, for example, there's the Polestar 2, but they're soon going to have a Polestar 3, which is an SUV. And I think that's important. The more SUVs we have that are electric, the more people are going to sample that. Does it mean that they're going to live with that for the rest of their lives? I don't know. It's just going to offer more choice. But if you think about the electric car landscape today, it's not majority SUVs, but the majority of Americans are buying trucks and SUVs. Right. Our guest right now is Brian Moody of Auto Trader. Uh, teamed up with Polestar today to talk about EV trends, innovations, and designs. Tell us a little bit about Polestar. Is that a subsidiary of Volvo, or are they somehow hooked together? It, it is. Uh, Polestar began as a tuner for Volvo, so they would take okay. Volvo parts and make them more high performance. They still do that. Uh, you know, better brakes, better suspension, bigger wheels, tires, engine, you know, all that sort of stuff. Sort of like how you might see other European brands have like a tuner version, right? Like an M series something or other. Right. Yeah. So that's what Polestar has been. But now Polestar has been spun off into a separate company, and they are solely an independent EV automaker. They still do the tuning of the Volvos, but they also are now a separate entity. Just like you would see with, uh, say, General Motors has, has many various brands. They don't share, they don't coexist, they don't, you know, do the same thing. They just are different companies that happen to complement each other. Now, increasingly, uh, we, we get stuff about uh, hybrid cars, plug-in hybrids. What, yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts on hybrids? And I'm not trying to compete against the EVs or anybody yeah. that doesn't make a plug-in hybrid or anything. What are your thoughts on, on the hybrid versus the EV debate? Again, I think it depends on what your needs are. I think there are, for some people, because of their budget and their use, a hybrid is going to work really well for them. I don't know if the average person knows that you can get a car today that gets 60 miles per gallon. But there's other people that want a fully electric car for their own reasons. Like, for example, they just want to use fewer resources. They want to use um, less of what the planet has to offer. Polestar, as an example, you can get a vegan interior. You see where that's going, right? Like that's a person who wants to use less in all aspects of their life, not just one car. But when it comes to being on a budget, like let's just say that you have, I only have $10,000 to spend. You're probably going to get a used hybrid if you want the best bang for the buck. Okay. Right. That yeah. makes sense. So what are your recommendations of the best all-electric vehicles? Well, there are several that you can pick from. Uh, Nissan is a good one. Toyota has one. Uh, Polestar is a good one. They have a combined design and range with a very compelling electric car. Um, if you go to autotrader.com, you can research electric cars, both new and used, and figure out what you want by sorting. You can use filters to sort. I want this color interior. I want this much range. I want this exterior color. And you can use a tool like that. And it's not just AutoTrader. There's other resources as well where you can find the best electric car for you. It's kind of like when someone says, 
hey, what's the best car ever? And use, you know, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Right. Oh, but you know what? I have six kids. Okay, then it's not a 59 Cadillac. Then it's probably, you know, a three-row SUV. It just depends on what each individual person's needs are combined with their budget. Yeah, okay, makes sense. Where can folks go to find out more? For more information on some of the cars, I mentioned a couple of Polestar cars. You can go to polestar.com. But also, if you just want more information on, say, car reviews and general shopping, buying, selling tips and advice, go to autotrader.com. Brian Moody, uh, electric car expert, transportation expert, really. Brian Moody of Auto Trader. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us here, Bud Scratch. Yep. Thank you, guys. Well, folks, we've talked about pulley systems for vintage Ford and Chevy engines and even the newer LS engines. Concept One pulley systems also makes a system for Chevrolet's new LT1 direct injection engine, which is available in the uh, new Corvettes and Camaros, as well as in uh, crate form from Chevrolet. This is a full-on victory system available in a selection of finishes and adaptable to whatever project car you're putting it in. Alternator and power steering pumps can be tailored to your needs. And as always, the system fits like a glove. Everything is included except the wrenches. See, these are the only systems I use on cars that I'm building. And let me tell you, Concept One, you don't need to look any further. Check out C1PulleySystems.com for your Chevy LT or other Ford and Chevy systems. Or call the owners toll-free at 1-877-785-5397. Ask for Kevin or Randy Red. Now, you've just finished well i don't are you officially finished building the house you're moving into it are you officially finished moving? well you know there's always a million things to do when you've just built a house so and there will be forever so yes, just reminding we're, you we're still moving stuff out of the old house ah, there so. you go yeah we're busy well do you remember what you paid for your ac unit you don't have to disclose the price here but uh, it was about four times what i thought it should have been well as with everything else in you that can house. thank the epa the california air research resources board board, carb yeah carb Mm -hmm. or the village people or whoever you know comes up with this stuff uh the only reason i brought up the the rating of your your ac at home yeah is uh i remember when you could buy a a heat pump you know air conditioner whole house system for yeah 2500 bucks oh yeah you can't anymore let's just put it there that's a down payment maybe and to follow suit and this is big news coming from the local front from Mike Robertson at Oakwood Tire and More. Mm-hmm. They've come out with a new Freon, and we've got a video on Access WDUN and one on our, our podcast site also, uh, Bud's Garage Overdrive, about the newest and the greatest Freon. Now, Mike called me because he said, guess what I just bought? And I said, I don't know what you just buy. And he said, a new Freon machine. I said, well, what was wrong with the old one? Well, they've come out with a new Freon. So now you got to have two machines, uh-huh. at least for a while, until it's all switched over to the new stuff. Right. So the old stuff was 134R mm-hmm. refrigerant. That's been replaced by R1234YF oh, refrigerant. God. One used to be the, the stuff that we're using right now is $4 a pound. This mm-hmm. new stuff started out at $70 a pound. I bought a can of it for 45 bucks, and... Uh, from uh, Complete Auto Parts Car Quest here in town. So I imagine it's going to come down. Yeah. But the new AC systems use smaller hoses and better better seals and all this kind of stuff in them. Uh, well, so my question is, are, are we going to be able to retrofit the older cars to the newer systems at some point? Don't know yet. 
I mean, you, I'm thinking because of the tolerances and the new hoses and mm-hmm. the and the seals and things like that, that might not be possible. You're gonna probably, if you want it, they're probably gonna. I don't know if it would be worth making a kit that replaces all the hoses, and you mm-hmm. might have to use a different, uh, you know, condenser and everything else. So I don't know. You know what I'm gonna assign that as? Oh God. Homework. Okie dokie. All right, <laughs> well, you can check it out. But I can tell you this. I'm going to give you nine careers, okay? Not jobs. These are career categories that you can get training at Lanier Technical College here in Georgia. Automotive and transportation, building electrical and manufacturing, business, cyber and computer, engineering, healthcare, personal and public service, public safety, and general studies. These programs have a wide variety of choices within each program. They have five campuses. Uh, They're available campus-specific, but Lanier Technical College is the only place you need to check out to look at all the varying careers they got going on. Check them out at LanierTechnicalCollege.edu. Our next guest is a multiple racing series champion. Uh, He he looks like your average accountant, Mm -hmm. uh, but he is all over the map as far as the things he has competed in, the cars he has driven, he has driven everything. Uh, he does stuff for Motor Trend magazine. We call him a hot shoe because he can get out of a Volkswagen into a Ferrari right. and not mess that up, mm-hmm. um, which is not easy to do, by the no. way. Uh, he was involved with the motorsports program that I used to teach at Lanier Technical College before I retired. He was a friend of that program, helped students out with that, and he's just an overall nice guy. Let's welcome into Bud's Garage, Randy Popst. Hey, Randy. But it's great to be here with you, Bob. I need Tim. no help. I need no help screwing things up. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I, we had you, we've had you on the radio show a lot, and uh, whenever we can grab you and, and get you and lock you in the room for a while, I remember once the first time we had you on the radio show, I said, "Randy, you look more like an accountant. Run with it." Sure enough, <laughs> my college degree is a major in accounting. And my first job was putting on an autocross nationwide for the Dodge Daytona Turbo. Wow. You guys might remember that. I remember I that. I worked on yeah. those things at the dealership, yeah. I'll bet you worked on them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but they were fun. And yeah. in the 80s, something with 150 horsepower was fast. Yeah, because Corvettes were 150 or something yes. like that at that point in time. Yeah. And, and I knew just where to hit the turbo actuator to bend it a little bit and add some preload to the boost uh, wastegate, get about another two or three pounds. Turbos, write that you, down. You add one pound to a turbo engine, and you can feel it. It makes a big difference. Wow. Some of these guys we've been talking to are running 15-pound boost on these things on streetcars. That is crazy. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, hell, the, I mean, the Mustang EcoBoost, I think it runs 20 stock. Yeah, but it's a four-cylinder engine. Yeah. You know, but I, I see guys running these LS engines and, and stuff with 15 pounds boost. Uh, uh, Concept One makes a special pulley system form with a 10 rib belt so they don't throw the belts off and the turbos stick out of the hood <laughs> well yeah some some of them do how how did all of this car stuff before before you got your accounting degree and wound up with this this traveling show when did when did cars come into your life 
My mama used to say that I was born with a toy car in my hand. Okay. And there's this cool picture of me as a little boy, and there I am with a toy car in my hand. I always loved them. Probably like both of you. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. Matchbox in my day. Absolutely. And then it went on to uh, Hot Wheels cars. Okay. Mm -hmm. You build model cars? I built some model cars, but I wasn't much of a builder. I was more of a driver. I love this. There's a country song that says, I put 100,000 miles on my on knees. On my knees, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I did. <laughs> Pickup man, that's the song. Yeah. yeah. Pickup man, I'm a pickup man. So somehow I was into cars right from the beginning. I was, in, I liked wheels, motion, speed, and first thing I drove, although although was a snowmobile, and uh, they were very slow back then. But to me, at 13 or 14, it was like heaven on earth to get to drive something. Oh yeah. And that's how it started. I. I just had it in my blood to love cars. Did, did your dad race or people? You know what? Did you have a crazy uncle like my, my kids do? <laughs> I did not. I wish you were my dad. <laughs> but, I, no, but I love my dad. You need to check with my sons on that. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, my dad was, he always had a manual transmission car. That's good. And he was an Air Force man. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not responsible enough to ever be in the military, but my dad was career, and uh, so I'm an Air Force brat, and dad would work on his own cars in the driveway, and so I remember him changing U-joints by hand, mm -hmm. pounding mm -hmm. it out with a hammer, yep. uh, or I don't know, do you have to press a U-joint into a uh, yoke? But you, yeah, there's, there's other you ways. Do, you, if you can get creative with a vice, you can pop them out with a you know, hammer if you hit the, the yoke in the right place, and then you can, you can put them back in with the vice. You I know, think that's, it as a Dad price. was yeah. doing that in the it's driveway it, yeah. to save money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, but, and his car, he loved sporty cars. He had Zs for years. Oh, all right. One of my very few tr uh, street crashes was in, quote, unquote, the best car he ever owned. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, but I feel innocent. It was a Saturday night guy pulling out of a bar thing. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, you know. So what was the car? Oh, it was a uh, 260Z. About oh. A oh, 260. 74, uh -huh. I think. White Datsun 260Z that we bought from our neighbor who had a body shop. Beautiful car, not very, just a few years old. Beautiful and uh, this guy pulled out of a bar. And these days when I see a car coming, I slow down, yes. like right now. But I was 19 years old, and he, I figured he was going to go divided highway, go halfway, stop and wait for me to go by, and then can continue, right? He just came out of a bar. You watch on your way home. <laughs> People will do that all the time. I do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. If there's a lot of traffic, you go halfway out. If there's room, a median or whatever. Yeah. Well, this guy didn't stop. And... I could see the, the back of a guy in the window. The, it was a pickup, and they had like four or five people in the front seat. And the guy in the, with his back to the window must have been saying, go, go, go. And he just kept coming. And I'm like, that truck's not stopping. And boom, ran into him. And, and uh, everybody from the bar came out, and some uh, drunken fool was making fun of me because the car was wrecked pretty good radiator steaming he was making fun of the thing steaming that's a rotten thing to do oh yeah but this wonderful family i uh, was behind me and it stopped and they waited 
until the cops got there and told him what happened. Mm -hmm. Said, this guy's just driving along, and that guy came right out in front of him. So I'm thankful to that family, wherever you are. <laughs> I'm sure they're listening. Yeah. yeah. So when, when from, from, uh, from demolition derby unintended, uh, <laughs> yes. when, when did you get into, uh, when did you step into something in a competitive nature? Well, in high school, I graduated in 75. Mm-hmm. And the cool kids were getting muscle cars, jacking them up, putting the uh, N5015s on the back. Oh, right? yeah. And uh, I, I went the other way. I, was, I went sporty style. I was in motorcycles first because in Florida, you could ride a little motorcycle on the street when you're 15. And my beloved dad got me one. And that was like heaven on earth again, to the freedom to go where you want to go. And I lived in Melbourne, Florida, Melbourne Beach. It was a beach community, small town. That probably saved my life 50 times on the motorcycle. There wasn't much traffic back then. Yeah. And my first car was a Fiat 850 Spider. Wow. Do you remember that car? I remember that car. It's about the size of this table. Right. <laughs> Tiny little engine in the back. Tiny little, yes. Yeah. Eight, 903 cc's, like a car. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going, that's a motorcycle-sized like engine. like a lawn tractor these yes. days. Uh, and I loved it, though, because it went around the corners well. Sure. I was into the corners. I wasn't into the straight ahead, and I still do like corners. So it was tragic to live in Florida because it's flat, and especially by the beach. Uh, I uh, still need to go surfing because I want to, and I didn't. I was into my motorcycles, and then I traded a motorcycle for this Fiat 850, and that's where I learned to always look under a car when you buy it, because it had <laughs> no floor, even though it was only about three years old. In, in 74, mm -hmm. this thing was like a 70, 71. And you bought it in Florida. Bought it in Florida, but uh, it wasn't from Florida. I don't, I, it had to be a northern car to rust out that. Yeah, because typically the, the Florida cars, they got the rust in all the weird places, but... You know the the things that aren't that aren't painted or whatever underneath on the chassis and all that's fuzzy with rust, but the floorboards don't usually go out. I got that. Northern cars have salty roads, so right. they rust from the bottom up. Oh, yep. mm -hmm. Florida cars go to the beach and get salt spray on them, and they rust from the top down. Right. <laughs> so you can put them together and have a completely rusty car. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Anyway, I like the corners, and, and um, um, right about the time I graduated, I got a Datsun 510 two-door, yeah. 72, yeah. another cool little That was car. a very hot car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The and if they've gotten to be worth a little bit of money, which uh, is, is great. And I had that 510, and I'm looking at a shopping newspaper, because I love classified ads. I'm always looking for a deal, right? And... I see this ad that says, race your own car, five bucks. And I'm like, hmm, what's that all about? Because I love going around corners. In fact, outside of Melbourne, there was a big development called Palm Bay, where they built all these roads, but they never built the houses. Ah. It was ahead of its time, ah. right? So mm -hmm. what do you do? You go way back in there, and you create your own little road course. And so me and my buddies were doing that. And I go to this event, it's an autocross. An autocross is a driving event set up in a big parking lot or an airport runway 
and you, you set up a course with traffic cones. Sure. So it's like slalom skiing with your car. You're not going very fast, but let me tell you, it feels fast because you're cornering at the limit. And I made one, well, I watched two events before I actually entered one. I was kind of shy. And the first run I made, it was so exciting to be driving as fast as I could to turn a time. That just clicked some switch in me. And ever since that event, I've done every single track day I can right up until this very moment. Wow. Because it just hit me so hard. I found my calling. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. You're, di- you're driving this, this Datsun, okay? So you're, you're, you're talking about a car that you can wind it tight and have fun with. What got you involved with the cars that are off the other end of the spectrum that uh, have all sorts of power and can get you in all sorts of trouble? Well, in racing, I was always wanting a faster car. Okay. And I'm a late bloomer. I didn't even, from, from the autocross when I was 19, I didn't run a road race wheel to wheel on a real track till I was almost 27. Did you go to a, a driving school or something? I should have. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the school of hard knocks. Ah. And you know what? I finally did, but I went to the Skip Barber driving school as an instructor. But I learned so much. But it helped me learn because I'd done so much racing. I was in maybe my third year of road racing, but I had autocrossed a lot. I won six national championships. So I knew a lot about driving, but I didn't really know why. I, know, I knew the what, but, or, or more like I knew the how, but not the why, okay? I could do it, but I didn't know why. And I've got a lot of friends like that who are really good drivers. They've got the seat of the pants feel, but they don't understand why. They don't even know what they're doing. They just do it, and they Mm -hmm. do it well. Mm -hmm. And at the school, I had this reference of having driven so much that when they explained the why, I understood it. I'm like, oh, Gosh, I wish I'd gone to this school 10 years ago. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, though. When, you're, when you have to teach something to somebody that you've just done forever. You know, when I was a mechanic, I, you know, tune up and points and condensers and all that. I knew it all that. I knew how to, to do all that stuff. But I didn't always, I didn't know what the components did individually until I had to teach it to somebody. And then you put it all together and boom, there you go. The best way to learn a subject is to teach it. Teach it, it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I knew way more than these students did, but I really didn't know very much when I started. And there's a guy out there named Terry Irwood. I think you know Terry, don't mm-hmm. you, bud? Mm-hmm. He, was an, he was chief instructor back then at Skip Barber. That was in 1989. And he's still out there doing it. And every year I, I realize how much that guy knows. Mm-hmm and how much he taught me about some of the fundamentals of how to drive. Uh, like here, let's do a test. Okay, you guys? All right. Right sure. here, put, put your hand on the table. All right. Kind of lightly. Slide it back and forth. Mm-hmm. All right? And now push down. Now try to slide it back and forth. It's harder, right? Right. right. All you listeners, you try that. Slide your hand lightly. It's easy. Push down. It's hard. That is the fundamental basis of driving well. 
When you push down on your tire, it gets more grip. So your primary job as a driver is weight management. So what tires steer the car? The front. The front. Yeah. Except when Bud's driving, he floors it and spins back tires. And, uh -huh. But if you want to go fast, now, yeah. you don't want to slide too much. But even in normal driving, the front steers the car. So if you want to steer the car better, where do you put the weight of the car? On the front. On the front, believe it or not, because when you slow down, weight transfers forward. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going down the highway <clears throat> and you got a cup of coffee on the seat next to you and you hit the brakes, where's that coffee go? Yep, to the front. Yeah. Forward. Or your dog comes out of the back seat and right over into the dash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you slow down, weight transfers forward. Now, like your fingers on the table, your front tires grip better. Cars turn better when they're slowing down. When you start to accelerate, say you're in a drag race, you see it on TV and those guys gas it really hard. What's a drag car do when he gasses it really hard? Well, they lift the wheels and... Does a wheelie, a good one. Tries to transfer the weight to the back. Weight is transferring back. Yeah. How, car, how well is your car gonna steer when you're on the power? Yeah, not very Sometimes well. Sometimes wheels aren't on the ground when Sometimes they're on the power. Sometimes they're not even on the ground. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And guess what? A little bit makes a big difference in a corner because the tires are already busy. The tires are cornering. So when you make a little bit more weight on the front, it turns a lot better. When you take a little bit of weight off the front, it doesn't turn as well. And so that simple demonstration, give everybody out there a little clue on how to drive better. It works going slow, too. You don't have to be racing. Anytime you want the car to turn better, slow down a little bit. Okay, at what point do you start to develop push, though, because of the weight on the front? If your car's pushing, look down at your right foot. Mm -hmm. You're probably on the gas. And because you're taking weight off of it. And if it's pushing too much, you can adjust your suspension and make that all better. Okay. And this, this is something that has uh, been trouble for me in my career several times. Now, you get a driver who's getting on the gas too soon. He makes the front light. Car pushes because the front's light. It's like your finger's on the table. There's no weight on them. So he's on the gas. Front's light. So he says, my car's pushing. So he comes into the pits, and he adjusts the suspension to reduce that understeer. We call that understeer or push. The fronts are sliding too much. Well, you can adjust suspension, the suspension so it will be better balanced when you're on the power. But you're on the power too soon. So now this car is actually too loose. I beat guys like that all the time when I was racing because I would set my car up with more understeer. It was not unusual for other drivers to come on my team and not like the car. And they say it understeered too much. And I'm like, no, you're on the power too soon. Because if, when you're slowing down, every, any corner that's tight at all, you've got to turn, right? Mm -hmm. And when you want to turn, where do you need the weight to be? On the tires that are steering the car. So you've got to have enough understeer that you need weight on the front so when you slow down entering the corner, it's all happening very naturally. You're slowing down, weight's on the front, the car's turning better until you know you're going to make the corner and everything looks good. Then you go to the power. 
then you're straightening out. So it's okay this doesn't turn as well. That's the key to driving well. That's why smooth is fast. And that's why a lot of guys who get on the power too soon, they set up the car too loose. Now the rear tires are working too hard. Now I beat that guy after a long run because his tires in the back are getting too hot and they're wearing out. And uh, because he's taking the weight off the front tires too soon. Wow. In racing, you want to use 100% of your grip all the time. And if you go to the power too soon, you're not getting enough work out of your front tires. Makes sense. Makes absolute and sense. And I learned all of that from Terry Yearwood and from the Skip Barber Driving School. And I started thinking about it while I was driving. Now, when you went to the Skip Barber School, did you also wrench on the cars? Was that part of your deal? Nope. Okay, because I know some people that went to the school that worked as mechanics so they could get track time. What did you do in between things you were doing on the track just to, you know, pay rent and keep yourself fed? That's a great question. And I admire anybody that would go work as a mechanic to get track time. And call me because I've got a couple project cars. <laughs> and if you come work on my car, you can drive it and I'll pay for the parts. And that's what I'm doing with Sam Collier on my flying moose Volvo right now. But here's the deal was when I was autocrossing and I wanted to go road racing and I met this wonderful woman who was also an autocrosser. She was really good and I married her. And um, she was seven years older than me and had a daughter and a real job. I was straight out of college and didn't know my butt from a hole in the ground. <laughs> Your accounting college. Yeah, my accounting college. So I'm trying to race. So whatever little bit of money I got my hands on went into the race car. And, and I was just starting my racing career. And Linda, God bless her soul, she had a real job. She was paying all the bills. Rent, groceries, gasoline. She didn't pay for anything on the race car. But I didn't pay for anything else, and that's not going to last too long in a marriage, right? <laughs> and so it was clear to me that I needed to make some money somehow. Well, I was lucky through the Skip Barber Driving School. I was so lucky. I don't think they ever do this much, but they put an ad in some magazine back when magazines were a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking for instructors. And I applied, and, and I got hired. And it changed my life. Terrier Wood taught me so much more about driving and everybody in the school. And then the school was doing these sales training events for manufacturers. Well, guess what? It paid twice as much as working at the school. So think about it. If you work at a driving school, you're not going to make very much money. You got to do it because one, you want to learn. Two, you're hoping to meet some rich guy coming to the school and become his personal coach. That's a great path to being a professional race car driver, by the way. And uh, three, I already forgot. <laughs> <laughs> we know the feeling. <laughs> so I, I could make a lot more money doing these sales training events. Which in, And I'm kind of what? a talkative guy and everything. And what this is was one of the first ones I did was BMW. BMW had the new... Um, E36 325 coming out in 1989. I think it was a 1990 model. And what they did was rent racetracks, BMW did, and they brought all the salespeople out to experience the car at the racetrack. 
to build excitement and see this car is fun and drives well and all these things. Those events are often called in the business, they call them ride and drives. And they also do them for consumers sometimes, where you've probably been to them. And they, um, they've started doing some of those at car shows. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the, the international car shows and stuff like that. A yep. little track or something, and the, you know, like at Petit Le Mans, a, a year or so ago, I remember they did this thing with Jeeps or something that went way up in the air and way back down the other side, you know, so you could experience that. So exactly. it's that kind of deal. You get, them, get them in the car. Yeah, all right. And I started working those events, and that became my other career. I, I was good at it. I'd give a little talk about the new features of the car, and then we'd ride in the car with the salesman. Now, that was an adventure, but the challenge was to be good at it. You know, you want to keep the salesman safe, help him learn something, and, and not salesperson. And, you know... Thank you. So would you, now, would, you, <laughs> yes. would, would they be driving, and you would yes. be training them while yes. they're driving? On a racetrack. So, yeah, that must have been exciting for in you. In some sporty car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Right. It so was, you didn't take them was, out and scare them first? Um, no, 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 no. We never drive them first. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Don't want to give them any ideas. Oh, ah, I see. Okay. That's still true about <laughs> coaching. I, just recently, I got into some near trouble that way. If your student rides with you first, he's like, oh, oh I see how you do miles an that. hour in yeah. turn one. Okay. <laughs> and you're like, no, you probably can't. So, you know, you ride, and then when we're all done, then I'll drive you. Mm -hmm. And then we say, don't try this at home. You're not ready, and, uh, you know, this is the potential. This is what it should feel like, but you run your pace. One thing I do as a coach and an instructor, I, n I never encourage a student to go faster. I just want them to drive better, because if they drive better, they will go faster. It comes in time. Right. Okay. You don't want to get in a hurry. Right. Mm -hmm. Of course, with the sales people, we wanted them to go fast enough to get a little excited and get a little feel for the car. And it became you, the people that were good at it. It was a real talent to control the driver in a friendly way. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned that also on the uh, the Dodge Daytona turbos. This my first real job I mentioned. We went to college campuses with these two cars. Oh my God. Yeah, set up a tiny autocross and people were running for time, but it was tiny <laughs> with big pylons. So uh, some of the kids would just go crazy. And uh, we developed a uh, remote control shutoff switch. <laughs> and that was actually fun. <laughs> so you'd get a guy who just wanted to see how far he could burn rubber. Because a Daytona Turbo would really burn rubber very well. And he'd be going, rub, up, 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 and we'd go, click. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it and funny he, the government's going to do that in yeah. 2025, put kill switches in cars? Well, they've passed the law. <gasps> we were talking about it on the what? radio show. Yeah. What are they doing? It was part, and they're going to put kill switches on the new cars. And who kills the car? Uh, Whoever... The, has access to the switch. Yeah. Oh, like the cops or whatever. The if you're trying to run or away. Hackers, hackers or you know, it just yeah. opens up the a main, whole. You didn't make your payment. Well, yeah. Know, like, how much with stuff. the late fee? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh yeah. yeah. That was in the new. What, what did they call that act that got just got passed in January? 
you know, infrastructure. Yeah. That was oh, tucked in there between the... Buried down in there mm, somewhere. In one of those 4,000 pages. Yeah, we think it's a really poor idea, and we express that. But uh, anyway, continue yeah. on. Kill switches. All right, so... Yeah, well, you know, that brings us to the whole subject of safety. Uh, right. Safety and freedom don't really go together. No. Usually the safer you are, the less free you are. Mm -hmm. And we want to be safe, but we want to be free. Right. And so you've got to have balance. Sure. Just like driving a car fast. Well, what we were thinking when we were talking about it on the radio show is my, my wife had a problem with her car with the gas pedal. The air pedal wasn't talking to the throttle body. It just quit. You'd be going down the road 70 miles an hour, and the car wouldn't shut off, which is very dangerous because you've got power steering and all that. It would go to idle. So you're going down the road 70 miles an hour, and then it's at idle. Everything's working, but you can't go any faster. And everybody's, you know, crowding behind Swerving you. around you. Yeah, I, so the, I just can't, you know, I just can't see shutting a car off as it's under motion. Yeah, I guess there's all different ways to look at it. Let's see now. It, I've heard that in a nuclear explosion, there's enough electromagnetic, uh, what's the word? You don't field? Have to, enough of a field that it kills the electronics. You don't have to worry about it, Randy. So, you still got stuff at home with points and condenser. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing you have some device that can fry the electrics, and that'll stop the car. But, yeah, that's, that can be scary. In, in racing, we have... Flags, and you get a yellow flag for a caution, and the, sometimes when there's a really bad crash somewhere on the track, they will, they will red flag the race. And when you see a red flag, you have to stop. Well, what the experienced drivers know is you take your time. Yeah, you stop, but, but you're in the middle of a bunch of guys going 100 miles an hour, and maybe the guy behind you didn't see that red flag yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you kind of rum bum bum roll it down, hand in the air, okay. The newer guys, red flag, they jam the brakes on. And sure enough, somebody Bam. hits them that's from behind yeah, and now you have another crash. You're right. Yeah, that's just like the interstate. Yeah, when safety goes too far. <laughs> uh, we need we need to balance our safety. Now you talk about people who just get in a car and drive it. In the magazine things that you've done like with motor trend and other magazines and stuff like that there's a lot of guys writers and stuff that test these cars on tracks and i don't think that all of them have had driver training they just have the they just have the the uh, guts to do it is that it well they have a lot of driving experience experience all right and uh i think most of us normal people in the world we get experience and we kind of know what what works. Mm -hmm. Like when I drive in traffic, we see crazy stuff, but the vast majority of people are getting it done. Right. I drive around, I'm going, I'm amazed there aren't a million times more crashes mm -hmm. than there are. Oh, yeah. The vast majority, we're getting it done. Let's look at the bright side. And that's what I think happens for these uh, journalists. They, they may not be, the, many times, they're not the best drivers. I mean, I worked with a lot of them, and you, they run the gamut from guys that are pretty terrible, even as a journalist, but, but they can still write accurately about what the car's like to guys that are pretty darn good, like uh, Jason Camisa, whom I work with a lot. He's a strong driver. Um, uh, Carlos Lago, who is, I think he's with Car and Driver now. 
I met him at Motor Trend, real good driver and a great rider. Uh, Angus McKenzie, another really talented and knowledgeable rider who's, who's a very good driver on track. Uh, but I've found that you don't have to be necessarily. I'm going to pick on Johnny Lieberman. <laughs> He's a very high personality, smart guy who knows what he's talking about when it comes to cars, but he's not the greatest driver. Mm -hmm. Jason Camisa can put a couple seconds on him around a racetrack, and a couple seconds is a long time when it comes to a lap time. And yet Johnny is, is really spot on when he talks about cars. I know him well enough. Mm -hmm. And he went up to Pikes Peak and did very well up there and didn't run it off the mountain like I have twice. So <laughs> I gotta respect that, right? Well, when you're writing, for the benefit of the general public who may or may not have various levels of experience, you, you would think that you'd want a perspective from someone who's a normal person, at least to, ha to have their input and not just all super race car drivers who are ultra critical of every nuance of the car that they're driving. That's so true. Well, the, part of the challenge of the journalist is to communicate this stuff on a level that the average reader can understand. Exactly. Of course, for a car magazine like Motor Trend, the readers are car people, so that helps. So it does. But, but So where did you learn your writing skills? Oh, I think I got that from my mom. <laughs> my mom was a writer, and it's funny, and some of you might relate to this, too. In college, I was never good at long-term projects. But I got really good grades, you know, mostly A's. I ended up with a 3.5 out of 4, which is like a B plus, A minus average. But a lot of my projects, especially my writing projects, writing stories, I did them overnight the night before they were due. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> and they were good. And uh, good enough, anyway. Mm. Uh, so I think I was just sort of born with a tendency to be able to write things and get them past the teacher. And uh, I never cheated, though. And uh, I think that's really where that comes from. My mother was a writer, uh, uh, unpublished. She always wanted to write her, her story of her cancer experience. And uh, she did write it, actually. I should probably dig that up. and Yeah, you should. Finish Publish it. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, that's kind of, I think that's where that came from. I'm, I'm sort of uh, comfortable with the English language. Mm -hmm. So you're able to convey your driving experience to a variety of readers with different types of experiences or maybe no experience who just pick up the magazine and say, oh, yeah, I wonder, wonder what that car drives like. I'd like to buy one maybe, you know. My goal is to give somebody, uh, through words, a feeling of what it's like to be driving the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, that's what I aim for when I can. And more and more, I'm doing video. And, and that's what happened when I started with Motor Trend. It really, it wasn't writing. It was video. Mm -hmm. And I've done some stories over the years, and I'm really proud of them. But uh, I like the video a lot. And it's still my favorite thing. Well, I think you'd be well suited to it. Personality-wise. I have a good time. And the, again, Jason Camisa, I do these videos with him on the Haggerty YouTube channel. I think they're the best videos ever made, car videos. And I'm 
just a cameo, really. I do stunt driving. Jason jokes around with me a little bit. He's the writer, and the director, Anthony Esposito, is, is a real talent. He's amazing. The guy behind the scenes. And these shows are incredible. Like, there's one where they're drag racing the fastest Cadillac ever, which is the CT5V, the one that's out right now. It's 660 horse. The one they killed the engine development on. Yeah. Yeah. Spent, yeah. spent a ton of money on the engine. Now you can't, can't buy it. Buy one used yeah. because it's the last of a breed. Manual transmission. Yeah. Great car. Fastest Cadillac ever. Then the fastest accelerating BMW ever. M5 CS. All-wheel drive, 620 horse or something, twin turbo V8. And Tesla Plaid. And we do a drag race. And this... It's just mind-blowing how much faster this electric Plaid is than the fastest Cadillac ever and the fastest BMW ever in a drag race. And what they did was they do the drag race and then they froze it in time. And Jason steps out of the car and starts talking about it. And it's a really cool video. It's on the Haggerty Channel icons. That is cool. And yeah. at, in a quarter mile... The Tesla Plaid is over 100 yards ahead, a football field. Right. Think about that. In a quarter mile, you've got a 660-horsepower Cadillac. You're only going a quarter mile. The Tesla is a, hundred, a football field ahead. Well, that's a quarter of the strip. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. What kind, of, what kind of time did it set, just so I can reference it? Nine-three. Nine three wow. quarter mile time. I remember muscle cars. You know, fourteen was a was a big number. Was a good number. Yeah. Yes. Then twelves and then ten. You know, the ten second club was. Oh yeah, wow. like Fast and the Furious. You yeah. owe me a ten second car. Yeah. Oh, how about my mom's Tesla? Because <laughs> yeah. it's funny in the drag races. If you've got a, a car that runs a nine second quarter mile, you need the safety fire suit. You need the roll cage and all the safety stuff. Meanwhile, I hear this four-door luxury sedan rolls up <laughs> with your mom in it, and she could just floor it and run a 9.3. It's just so easy, and it does it over and over. Electric motors are really well-suited to drag races. Yeah. They have so torque, much yeah. power on But not only that, they're also well-suited to road courses, are they not? For a couple laps. Okay. There's some downsides. One... An electric car at full throttle uses that battery up in a hurry. Yep. You can probably, on most road courses like Road Atlanta here, you probably get three laps. Mm -hmm. And so they need a lot of battery. Batteries are heavy. That's one big downside to trying to track an electric car. They're heavy and they use that power up in a hurry. And guess what? They overheat. When, when you're running a lot of amps through a wire it's kind of like a short circuit what happens it's hot gets hot the wire a toaster burns. so the earlier teslas like my old one i have a brand new to me old tesla it can't track it can't do it can only do three corners is it a model s it's a model s and so when they were new i we tried to track them with motor trend and we we could do three corners and then the thing would slow down and at the time, I know the, the Teslas are always connected to the mothership mm -hmm. through the satellites and everything. 
And I was thinking, okay, now is this the car shutting itself down? Or does somebody at Tesla know it's at a racetrack going 140 miles an hour and they don't want that? <laughs> like you just said about yeah. cars turning off. Yeah. With, with well, you the can satellite a, links. You, you can update a Tesla you know, over the, over the internet. They're connected. Yeah. And actually, cars are too now. Oh, yeah. And all they have to do is tie that connection to the car and they could turn it off right now. Tesla can. So is the Tesla, when you were testing Hey, GM it, can start your car for you. Or you no, go, unlock sure. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. You can, they can unlock it. Yeah. So the, I think the technology is already there to turn mm -hmm. a car off. Oh, yeah. So if you run a Tesla out of, out of oomph after three laps, does it... Have you used up the battery or it just, you know, has a thermal thing that shuts the car down? Yeah, or, in this case, with the, with the early cars, it was the thermal thing. Okay. That's a good question. So you, At you, the you time, completely I didn't run know. out of battery? Sorry? You completely run out of battery then? Or does it... Does not it in just, three corners. Okay. Just, or not in three laps either. Okay. It, it wants to get hot. Ah. In three laps, it's more like you're using up the battery, but it also wants to get hot. And on the Model 3, they improved that. And then they have a Model 3 performance. It's even better. And you can actually track a Model 3 performance. But you still use that battery up quick in about 10 yeah. to 15 minutes, yeah. depending on the driver, too. But as far as handling characteristics, aside from range or battery, handling characteristics itself on a road course, how does that compare to a gasoline car? Well, they're heavy, right? But guess mm. what? That weight is low. These, uh, on a Tesla, the batteries are in the floor, and that's how pretty much everybody does it when they build one ground up. And they are part of the frame. They, they use that whole battery structure as part of the frame. Tesla worked, as heavy as they are, they've worked hard to keep them light. And so if you're gonna have weight on a car, you might as well have it low. Race cars, you want that weight low because then they have less body roll. They actually have less weight transfer in the corner. You can get more use out of your inside tires. And uh, it doesn't change, the body roll doesn't change all your suspension geometry and all those reasons why you don't want body roll. So Tesla's also, I think part of their design goal was for these things to handle well. Mm -hmm. And they do. They are really nice to drive. And that's why I don't like SUVs. I'm an SUV hater. I don't even like trucks unless I'm towing something. Right. Or because of the, the height and so much of the weight it's being really, up high. Yeah, it really is A lot of body roll. Yeah, they just don't handle. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been in the business. I've driven the best trucks and the best SUVs ever. And you just can't hide that weight and the height. Right, right. It, it, it is not a Corvette. <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts then on, you know, you say your mom could be in a car and, you know, cut a, a nine-second quarter mile. Can that become a problem with your regular everyday driver if they don't understand what's going on with their, you know, the dynamics of, of physics and things like that? you got this car that will do that. Um, but just because it will, you know, should you? Oh, you bet. 
In fact, the uh, YouTube is full of the videos oh, yeah. <laughs> of people going too fast in, in their Teslas because of the capability. I mean, I saw one where some young guy came flying through an industrial park, started, went over a big bump and went right through a building. I mean, I think this happens fairly regularly mm -hmm. because it's so easy to, to achieve and there's so much potential for speed uh, just crazy speed. But then you take the weight of that vehicle and crashing becomes a problem for the occupant and whatever you hit. Momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially with what you hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what's wrong with heavy cars in general. And one of the rants I have is uh, um, kind of about how we Americans like trucks and big SUVs, Suburbans, you might even drive a, you know, a crew cab. Expedition, expedition, no, who's e got an expedition? Ex excursion. excursion, I'm sorry. Excursion, excuse me. But what, what's with a 9,000 pound Hummer? You know, an EV. Yeah, the Hummer electric Hummer is 9,000 pounds. And the Rivian electric trucks, I think are 8,000. Mm -hmm. And yet they're still fast. Yeah. And they're nice to drive. Right. But what if you hit somebody with that thing? And it's kind of true for trucks, too. We, in America, it seems to me, we think of safety in terms of... Big. Um, well, crash safety. Is this car safe when I, when I get hit or when I hit something? But we don't think about what is this car or truck going to do when it hits something else? Right. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never seen that. Like, well, you know, your truck's 6,500 pounds. It's going to do a lot of damage if you hit oh, something sure. like that thing. The Institute, Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, you know, has not, to my knowledge, has not tested something like a uh, GMC Hummer EV. Now they've taken conventional vehicles and loaded them up with, a, you know, tons of weight, but it's not the same. So I, I'm not even sure we can crash test some of these cars with the apparatus we have now. Good point. Plus, the electrics can be dangerous in a crash. Yeah. You know, I mean, they work real hard to keep it from that, but it's not a perfect world. Gas cars can be dangerous in a crash, too. Oh, yeah. sure. But it is something to think about. If you're driving a smaller car, you're less likely to hurt somebody else. That's true. It's just, it's just the way it is. Back to the racetrack. Have you driven the E-Ray Corvette yet? And you're more likely to get hurt. Well, we're right. <laughs> so, well, yeah. uh, I have not had the pleasure. I know they just recently did a press day uh, where a journalist drove the E-Ray or got driven in the E-Ray. I don't know if they actually got to drive it. Well, I bring it up because to my understanding what I've read about it is the, it does not have a conventional battery like you and me and Tim think of a battery. It's got a rack of capacitors. And as you know, a capacitor can take a big jolt of juice and release it very quickly. So this car, as it's going around track, you know, is building up the juice. In fact, it's only got like a, a four-mile range if, if you used battery. But it can build up the juice, and then you get into the corner, and it instantly releases it. So you've got something pulling you out of the corner, and you go back down the track again, and you're building it back up. And it's constantly going back and forth. I think that would be an interesting dynamic. And you don't, you don't have to live with a 600-and-some-horsepower car every day. It would be great for lap times yeah. because getting a good lap time on a road course is all about how fast you come out of the corner. 
Mm-hmm. We call it exit speed. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you, if you know drag racing, the drag race time is really about the launch. Correct. You ever right. seen a like a top fuel car? He leaves the line, blows up, coasts to the end, and he's running a 6.2 quarter mile. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You're it's right. It's true. Yeah. It's about the launch. So that electricity, electrical power is instant. Instant. One RPM is full and torque. So that's great to combine that with a gas engine. You can maybe have the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. which is what I think they were after with the E-Ray, the new Corvette hybrid. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a time, what was it, 10 years back or more, where the, all of a sudden the fastest cars on earth were hybrids. And they remember started... The pan, remember the Panos car? Sparky, they used to call it? No, which it, one? It was outlaw. It looked like the Batmobile. But it was outlawed because, you know, had the electric motors and stuff in it. A race car? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't remember the Panos did that. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot I don't a remember. long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it can make a great race car. Porsche was one of the first to do it. They, they had a, uh, in the Petit Le Mans, they had a 911 hybrid. And I was thinking, eh, you know, the greenies, you want to make this mm-hmm. thing uh, get better mileage or something. But you know what? It was fast because it was doing exactly what you described the E-Ray does. It's, it would recover some of the energy slowing down, store it in a battery, and then pump it right back to the car when they accelerate off the corner. And boy. Remember the Audi? Sounded like a vacuum cleaner going around the track. That was, that was crazy. Yeah. So this year, you know, 24 hour uh, at Daytona, they had hybrids in the, in the field. In the prototypes, right? Yeah. Didn't they do that? What was it? What would it, they call it? A GTP car? What? Yeah. What was your thought on that? LMP H or something? I think they called it. I don't well, know. There's so many classes that I get them all mixed up. But I look at it this way. I love racing, and uh, I like the competition. I've always loved cars, and this is very expensive, and it's a big part of marketing for the automotive manufacturers and the sponsors that are involved Mm -hmm. and including these modern technologies that are similar to what make cars more efficient on the road helps sell racing and keep it alive. So I love it because it helps keep racing alive by utilizing technologies that also pay off on the road because I really do believe in efficiency. And that's the best thing about a hybrid, in my opinion, or for that matter, an electric car. When you slow down, you get some energy back. Mm -hmm. They recharge their batteries. Whereas in a gas car, you don't, it's just heat. You hit your brakes and you lose the energy forever. Yeah, it's true, it's gone, yeah. With, With a hybrid or an electric car, you get some of that back. And I really enjoy that efficiency partially because I've done a whole lot of endurance racing. And in endurance racing, as a driver, my job is to go as fast as I can and use as little of the car as possible. You can go faster that way, you go longer, it's how you win. And it's a, it's a fun game. So you have to be really smooth and efficient. So that is appealing to me. In, in my Tesla driving over here, I play this little game of never hitting the brake pedal. If I time it right, the regeneration is what slows the car down. Is right. Slow it down pretty good. Mm-hmm. In fact, enough that the brake lights come on from really? just letting off the throttle. 
I almost said gas. Air yeah. pedal. It's the air pedal. <laughs> yeah, because they slow down enough to, for, for safety that you that need brake lights. it activates the brake lights. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, there's another side to that that, that we haven't I haven't seen it until lately. Um, I read an article about a guy that went to the dealership was having trouble with his, his particular brand of electric vehicle, and the brakes had completely rusted up. Because he wasn't using them. Wasn't using them. Really? Because the car was regenerating, and it wouldn't be covered under warranty because it was it was up in the north somewhere where you know you get corrosion mm -hmm. and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. And they showed pictures of the the, the you know the, the brakes and the rotors and stuff. They were just crusty, rust. So step on your brakes occasionally, then, yeah. Randy. So. <laughs> you get that brown powder out of them. <laughs> there's always a, you know there's always a, a minus side to the the pluses. It's, Always, yeah. in any question, there's two sides. Oh yeah. yeah, and you have to be willing to listen to the other side, or you end up going to war. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what if anything, Randy, would you have done differently from your holding the toy car in your hand to where you're at now? Oh well, one we've talked about a lot already. Mm -hmm. I would have gone to a pro school, but when you're 26 years old and you've saved every penny to buy this little race car for a little series you're not going to march down and pay 1500 bucks to go to a driver's school right mm -hmm. yeah. that was 1500 bucks in 1985 back then, back then yeah. yeah which is what three grand or more now and uh but it would have been worth it i would have done that different uh otherwise I don't know how I could do lucky different, because in my career, several times I got lucky breaks. I, well, you I got, could write you a book. Be present. Yeah, you got to be present to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, that would make that make a good column for me. I've been writing a column for the SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America magazine, Sports Car, for 20 years, and that would be a good subject. Um, lucky breaks, mm -hmm. because there were a couple times in my racing career where it was I didn't have anything. And the phone rang, or I bumped into a guy on pit lane, and all of a sudden I had a good ride again, and my whole career woke up. There's a guy named Mitch Wright who was a really good racing driver, and he turned into a track manager. And he's been, I think he was track manager maybe at Sonoma. He's been at several tracks. Now he's at the Corvette National Museum track right, yeah. in um, Bowling Green. Bowling Green. I knew it was green something. <laughs> anyway, Mitch Wright, I was in one of those moments in my career where I had just driven for uh, Audi, and that ride went away. Was that it? No, it was Porsche. The Porsche ride went away. And I didn't really have a good ride. But there was a team in World Challenge that was looking for a pro driver, and Mitch mentioned my name. And he called me and said, hey, would you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and it totally turned my career around. And I won the first race I did with that team. I did that several times. If you do get a ride with a team and you win your first race with them, oh, yeah. that's, that's a pretty good, good deal. That gets you off mm -hmm. to a good start. Yeah. And so that part was good. But lucky breaks uh, helped my career tremendously. Isn't that dumb? Just luck. The right place at the right time. Right. But ready, mm -hmm. ready. When I got the lucky break, I was able to do it. 
can do it, yeah. You, you got to be able to do it. No learning curve. What do you think of, you, you've mentioned driving schools many different times during our talk here. What do you think of teen driving schools? Because, you know, the teens, the ones that are even interested in getting a car are, are clueless, and their, their, their parents are terrible drivers, and so you know what, what do you, I, and, and their for parents the, are the instructors yeah. well i know but the, i'm not sure that the parents shouldn't go through the same school the teens go through when they have these teen schools um may i rant please yeah, absolutely. do covid hits mm -hmm. people are dying we go crazy we stop all the industry we start these vaccines we go to a tremendous amount of trouble because people are dying Teenagers are dying right now in cars, and we just accept it. We have virtually no driver training. Mm -hmm. Driving a car is a great responsibility, and a little bit of training is a tremendous help. I mean, you're not going to put somebody in an airplane and say, here, have a, have a ball, here's a book, read this book, go crazy. Yeah. We could save so many lives not just teenage lives, but mostly teenagers are very dangerous time driving because they don't know what they're doing and they're pretty fearless. And so I'm all for teen driver schools and I don't care if it's, it's expensive, we should have real driver schools for every single person getting a license to drive. And it's kind of crazy that we don't. Yeah, that, I understand yeah, that in, in Europe, Sweden, Germany is famous for good schools. Right, and it, it's very expensive. It's a privilege to get a driver's license, and it's very expensive to do so. And you've got to know what you're doing before you get out there, yeah. unlike America. Well, In Europe, they've got trains, and they have better public transportation, which mm. gives them more options. But it's worth it. And when you look at the damage that is done, not just the deaths, but the injuries, I mean, it's huge. Yeah, to the teen or anybody else. And we keep trying to make our cars better and safer in a crash. Well, how about we make them less likely to crash by training our drivers better? What a concept. Wow. And what do, you, what do you say that you have everybody that gets a driver's license has to go around the block in a tractor trailer and see what that's like? To understand what it's like. Mm -hmm. And understand what it's going to do to you. <laughs> yeah. Truckers have a tough life. Oh, gosh. And Tim knows. And, yeah. I get really angry at these, I'm going to go ahead and say it, at the lawyers that focus on trucks. Mm -hmm. Because in accidents, I'm sorry, 98% of the time it's not the trucker. Right. They're so heavy, they just can't stop and maneuver. And a little car pulls out in front of them and does something the truck can't do. And he hits the car, and now he's the bad guy. I'm, oh, I'm behind truckers all the way. And I drive a lot, you know. I respect them. Of course, you're going to get a, guy, a bad driver from time to time. But their level of driving is so much beyond your normal four-wheel car driver. It's unbelievable. And <laughs> just trying to survive. Oh, yeah. And I learned that partially. Early in my career, I was in my own little van towing my own little car trailer. And... Even at that level, I got a feel for they don't stop as well. You can't maneuver them as much. And it gave me respect for truckers, what they do. In fact, I mentioned that first job I had, the uh, Dodge Daytona Turbos. Mm -hmm. I, when that job started, 
We did a show for Dodge in Detroit. It was run by a marketing company. I'm 20, 1983, I was 26 years old. And then they handed me the keys to this crew cab dually pickup truck and a 42-foot fifth wheel with two cars and all the equipment in it, it weighed 26,000 pounds, the max, and said, be in, Detroit, be in Boston tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock to set up a show. We're oh, in Detroit. Good. Oh. Tomorrow morning. And, okay, I mean, I love trucks and trailers, but I didn't, I didn't drive anything that big before. And off we go. And I learned a lot about driving heavy vehicles and running wide in a corner and to, so your trailer doesn't hit the curb and all that. And it led me to get a lot of respect for truck drivers out there. Did you, did you try going through a McDonald's drive through in that vehicle? <laughs> no, but on the way to Boston. One time, yeah. The, they just gave me the keys. And I, I, don't, I don't know anything. I'm driving this huge truck and it's kind of fun. And there's toll booths, right? Mm -hmm. And I come up to the toll booth, and the mirror's sticking out. Yeah. And it kind of almost brushes the toll collector. And the, the person says, says, how wide is this thing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I've got no idea. <laughs> and I said, like, I don't know, 10 feet? <laughs> and they're like, pull over. Oh, no. Going, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm 26 years old. And they're all like, get the tape measures out. Oh. It wasn't 10 feet wide. 10 feet is way too wide for a normal vehicle on the road. Mm. It's a wide load. Got long mirrors. Uh, that's they all. pulled that's me all. over and they're like, ah. And, I'm, and they measure it and they're going, you know, what's eight feet? I think 96 like, inches. 96 inches. We were fine. Yeah. It was, you know, a standard trailer. <laughs> but I didn't know. And then the other thing they didn't tell me. I'm going by the way stations, and there's a sign, all trucks. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, am, am I supposed I to be going in there? Yeah, right. Uh, and I didn't know. Uh, I mean, I didn't know anything about the whole RV thing. So did you? Did you pull into the no, way stations? well, I didn't then. Uh-huh. But a year later, same program, I'm out in, I think it was Arizona, and their signs are more insistent. Mm -hmm. And they say, all trucks, including pickups. And I'm driving along, and I'm going, gosh, maybe I should go in there. And I went in there, and oh, my God, did they kick my butt. Really? They, they were, where's this? Where's that? I didn't know anything. They just gave me the keys. I mean, a year later, I still didn't know. Uh -huh. I hadn't been in a truck stop before. I don't know anything about that. It was, everything was fine. It was like registered as an RV or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know any of that. And the guy's yelling at me and I'm going, uh, <laughs> I don't know. All right, well, other than a CDL career, what, what, is next, what, is next, what is next for Randy? Oh my goodness. Well, you know what? I, I hate to admit this, I'm 65 years old. And it happens. Yeah, maybe you guys can relate to this. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. The guy yeah. in my head is not. Mm -hmm. I understand. The guy right. in my right. head is, is, you know, ready to go jump on that motorcycle and go swoop through a corner. Uh, but when I look in the mirror, that guy is. <laughs> I'm like, who is that person? Yeah. So um, my, my whole career is slowing down. I'm not pushing for pro rides anymore. And that, for me, is a great relief. It was always very much a stressor. Mm. Like, 
where am I going to get my next ride? You, the pro driver's always looking for another ride. And I didn't like that part of the game. I was never very good at it. And that's why I stress is luck, how I got so lucky a couple of times sure. where somebody would come to me with a ride when I really needed it. And so uh, I'm not chasing pro rides. I still do pro rides from time to time. I get paid for it. I'm still really good at driving cars, like I just did this race. And I just, it's totally my happy place. That's where I belong. I feel so good doing it. I'm still in pretty good shape, but I don't really need to be because I'm so relaxed in the car. I'm just, I'm just not working. You know, people talk about having drinks and cool suits and all this crap. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need it. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just such a happy place, you know. I hope everybody out there finds something that just feels so good to them. And everybody has that. You need to find that thing that makes you feel that way. And for me, it's always been driving corners fast. And so I'm, I'm not doing as much pro. I love the video. And, and um, I've fallen in with Jason Camisa and the icons and Camisa drag race replay shows on the Haggerty channel. I still get to do motor trend videos once in a while. I do some coaching. Coaching's not my first choice. And I can't even exactly tell you why. Because I just coached two guys a few months ago over at Barber in Birmingham, Alabama, and it was one of the best weekends of my life. They were wonderful guys. They really wanted to learn and they were so appreciative and made such an effort. You know, good students, you as a teacher, you understand that some of the students are so hungry to learn and it just feels good to work with somebody like that. Sure. You get a relationship. I should probably do more of that because I have a doctorate in driving and in racing. I really know a lot about it, but it's a school of hard knocks. Mm -hmm. And I have... I have real training on it, too, oh, sure. from you, guys like Terry Irwin. Yeah. And so maybe there'll be more of the coaching, but I do a lot of um, hosting, entertainment kind of things. Like there's a race series called the Lucky Dog Endurance Racing Series. Right. Yep. It's budget endurance. And uh, at, on the West Coast, they actually hire me as a brand ambassador. And you know what my job is? Hang around. Have fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's real difficult wow. for you, isn't it? I'm good at that. What a yeah. gig. <laughs> and people let me drive their cars. That's one of the great things about a 14-hour long race mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of opportunities to drive. So I get to drive all these cars. And I'm going to add that budget endurance racing is some of the best racing there is right now because the rules are pretty wide open. Mm-hmm. At the Rolex 24... Those cars are very strictly prepared. They're made by the manufacturers now. Right. You run an Aston Martin or a Chevy Corvette, you buy it from Chevrolet and you're not allowed to change it. You can tune this or that. Well, you go down to a Lemons race or a Lucky Dog race or a Champ Car Series race like I did Saturday, and those are creative, home-built cars where they're just magnificent. These guys are putting this stuff together and making it work. And I really enjoy that part of it. The creativity is alive 
especially in the home engineering department. Mm -hmm. We got so much fun with the Volvo on that. But it's right up your alley. Right up my alley, yeah. Yeah, it is. Don't, well, don't, no, your cars are always too clean and pretty. Get, yeah, right. Don't get, don't get me, don't get me in the other, any other alleys. You know what's been magnificent? Catching up with you, having well, you here. Oh, this, thanks this for having me, been, Al. This guys, has just been great. You going to come back? Oh, yeah, of course. Anytime. Anytime. And everybody out there in radio land, podcast land, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Getting back to our anniversary of the podcast for just a minute, I have known the folks out of year one for since I was teaching. That was 30 years ago. It's we a have, long time. We have like a 40-year relationship with mm-hmm. them. And, and we, it's always been a great relationship. Uh, we've had interns work for them on different projects and hot rod power tours and things like that. But I, I wanted to give a shout-out to these people because just in, in, just in general, the way they support the movement, this crazy movement that we call cars. Oh, right. You know, you talk about going to swap meets and things like that. We, we like to hang with the people that, you know, get it mm-hmm. car-wise. And the folks that get it are working at year one. And the folks that support people that get it are the folks that go to year one. Sure. So it's a complete circle. Right. Works out great. I want to suggest that you get on their website and start getting the email blasts. Because they come out so often, it's hard for me sometimes to keep up with all the things on a weekly basis because sometimes we'll get three or four blasts a week. Right. And they've got it all. You know, they've got engines, they've got interior stuff, exterior stuff. Sure. It doesn't have to be a major project for you to get them involved. Oh, Uh, yeah. Everything that I've gotten for the Mach 1, everything I got for the Nova, you Mm -hmm. know, two very different cars. Sure. Everything came from year one. And, uh, you know, the folks helped me out with it. Assembly manuals, things like that. Mm-hmm. That is great stuff to have. And, you know, I know you've built projects and gone to them for the parts oh, form. Regularly. Yeah. Yeah, for all those little detail parts for the interior that you need and the, the big parts, too. Well, because you've mentioned, you know, you have an upholstery shop, obviously, Tim's Auto Upholstery. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, you know, it's it's more cost efficient. For you exactly. to go to them and get the door panels, the, right. the, you know, the stuff that's already done right. and done back in the factory. Back in the press pleat factory look exactly like it rolled off the showroom. You took the words right out of my mouth. Well, well that's <laughs> what I do. But, but if, if you want to do that, all mm-hmm. you have to do is reach out to year one. And uh, they are in Brazelton, Georgia. No, they're not. And they moved to Cornelia. Yep. They have a new facility now, uh, which is going to be really cool. And uh, we'll tell you more about that. But year one's the only folks you need to know for classic muscle car restoration. They are restoring American performance. Oh, yes. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay. Time for thank yous, Tim. Okay. Let's thank the folks at Jacobs Media, first of all. Right. And, uh, the you know, the great studio we produce out of. It's uh, we're, we're here because we want the quality of sound, and the guy that keeps track of the quality of sound is on the other side of the workbench. That's Bill Wilson. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for all you do. Salute. Salute. Uh, Great folks at Lanier Technical College. Uh, They're doing great things every day, as are the folks at Year One. Right. Restoring American performance. And the folks at Concept One. Pulley systems. Making life simpler so we don't have to scrounge junkyards for brackets and stuff to make our hot rods out of. And not only that, it looks great, it fits great, and works every time. Oh, yeah. And, of course, we want to thank Randy Popst. Busy, busy guy for stopping in and and telling a little bit about what he does. Right. Next week's guest is going to be 
Interesting. Local historian, he's been on the radio show with us several times, local racing historian, that's Cody Dinsmore. He's a part of the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. He's a young man with an old soul, and we're looking forward to having him on and telling us about uh, some of the stories from way back when. You good with that? I'm real good with that. I, I thought you. <laughs> I was waiting for what were you, what were you going to say next? That was it. <laughs> oh, okay, he's real good with that. Anyway, remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up, and uh, try to catch our radio show on terrestrial radio, which is uh, Bud's Garage on AM 550 FM 102.9. You can uh, download the app. It's uh, called WD Access WDUN. Mm-hmm. You can listen to the radio show live. You can listen to it on Spotify as you are. Spotify or any of the podcast sites as you're listening to this. And uh, we will see you next week right here on Bud's Garage Overdrive.